Hey, where are you going, Jim? The elevator's over here. Taking the stairs. But our meeting's up on 8. Yeah, I know. But that's eight floors up. That's like eight times eight. I don't A lot of stairs. That's the point. I've already lost a few pounds and earned almost $100 in wellness incentives. Whoa, you're getting rewarded for working out? Yeah, I know. I'm just as surprised as you are, Bob. Fearless is full of surprises. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits and sign up at fepblue.org slash choose blue by December 11th. On Dolphins, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome in to the Tuesday, October the tenth edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host. Travis Wingfield, and we are brought to you by xbet.ag, and of course, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. On today's show, we take a deeper dive into the analytical stats, as I like to call them, of the Dolphins' 16-10 win over the Tennessee Titans, as well as taking a peek at the team stats through the first four games where they stand amongst the rest of the National Football League. We discuss this offense's potential to get back to where it used to be, to be revived, so to speak. And we take a stroll down Misery's Lane, talking about all the off-field black marks on the Miami Dolphins franchise in the wake of Chris Forrester's fantastic white powdery substance video. But first, you guys know the drill by now. I have to remind you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, wherever you get your podcasts from. Drop us a five-star rating and review. Those subscriptions, reviews, and ratings are how podcasters are judged. The more I get, the higher we go up on the iTunes chart. The more it exposes us to more Dolphins. It helps the show grow and continue to keep on growing and getting bigger. And we really, really appreciate all that support from you guys. Don't forget to check out the Locked On Sports family of podcasts, including the Locked On NFL podcast and the Locked On Heat podcast for local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Lastly, follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and check out the digital press content at LockedOnDolphins.com with me and the three writers I've been talking about. We have some new content coming out this week about Charles Harris and my website, 3rdand10.com. Week 4 quarterback grades up right now. Week 5 coming out probably around Thursday sometime. And of course, speaking of those ratings and reviews, you guys know how you can get yourself a free PFF Edge subscription. That's a $40 value. We're going to be giving out one per show per week. That's profootballfocus.com, the premier website when it comes to NFL player grades, snap counts, positional ranks. If you watch the Sunday Night Games on NBC, the positional ranks they use on the starting lineup broadcast there is a PFF stat. For you fantasy guys, they have fantasy projections, rankings, tools, and charts. NFL draft coverage with PFF profiles and stats. Team and player pages featuring PFF stats. The Miami Dolphins have their own page. It's an awesome thing to check it out. So I've been telling you guys about this promotion for a while now. I haven't got you any winners yet, but I have recently asked the owner of this entire podcast network what's going on with that. So I will have answers for you guys soon. Again, that's profootballfocus.com. Enter today for your chance to get a free PFF Edge subscription by leaving us a review on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. Leave your Twitter handle in the review, and we will get you guys into a drawing for a chance for a free PFF Edge subscription. 
All right, pressing on here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, let's jump into the statistical review from Sunday's win over the Tennessee Titans. The Dolphins ran just 58 plays in offense, another short day for the offense. It's hard to do that when you can only sustain drives to a certain point, just 12 first downs. On those 58 plays, 178 yards. That is a poultry 3.07 yards per play. That is outright atrocious by any standards across the league. So Dolphins offense, woeful. Just the one sack was a 14-yard sack where Jay Cutler goes way back and, and gets himself in trouble there. Five out of 13 on third downs. That That's actually pretty good, especially cons- considering what the Dolphins have been. I know it's only 33%, but when you're in long yard situations for the most part, that's about what you expect to be around is 33%. That's a good percentage for third and five plus, or third and six plus, I should say. And the Dolphins ran the ball for some short yards, first downs, which was nice to see. On the other side of the ledger, on the Dolphins' defense, the Titans also ran 58 plays. Six of those were sacks, so a great job by the Dolphins' pass rush in this game. But out of those 58 plays, they gained 188 total yards, which is also pretty bad, right around the same thing as the Dolphins had, 3.24 per play. So Miami Dolphins' defense, fantastic. Even though it was Matt Castle, those numbers are going to get you victories a lot of the time. And two for 13 on third down. Very good job by the Dolphins' defense in that game. So the Dolphins had the ball 13 times, 13 possessions if you remove the end of the half possession, which was a one play kneel down. So don't count that. But 13 possessions on the game. Take away the touchdown score by the defense. They scored 10 points on offense. That gives you 0.77 points per drive. The NFL league average is right around 2.1. They're not going to be any quarter, any team with a starting quarterback caliber player putting up that type of production. So horrendously bad terrible offensive performance showing their longest drive was 10 plays a very nice 10 play five minute drive for 58 yards for a touchdown after that seven then they had three six play drives and then one two three four five four and outs on the day or five three and outs on the day just oh i can't really say how bad the offense was enough i mean it was just an atrocious performance by the dolphins all around whether it was quarterback receivers, offensive line. I thought J.H.I. did as much as he possibly could have. He's just the guy that always kind of seems to get it, get it done regardless of what kind of blocking he has. But he gets himself at least into the higher numbers of rushing yards, only a three yards per carry average, but that's, you know, that's not very good either. But he was effective enough in the running game and was basically the entire meat of the Dolphins' offense in this game. Moving into the receiving department, Jarvis Landry had 10 targets for 44 yards, just 4.4 yards per target. He caught half of his passes, so a 50% catch rate, 4.4 yards per target. He had one drop that was uh, rather costly and, of course, hit the big touchdown. But last year he was up over 8 yards per target, so half of the production in this game that he had last year, you can tell he's frustrated. You can tell the game's not going the way he wants it to, and it's definitely affecting his play. Julius Thomas, four targets. He caught one for 15, so he's catching 25% of his balls for less than four yards per target. Just a woeful day from him once again. Kenny Stills, the missing person we've talked about on the podcast, two targets, catches one of those for 13 yards, so he's right at about six and a half yards per target, but when you're only getting targeted twice, it's not really much to write home about. And then Devontae Parker left the game with an ankle injury. The Dolphins believe it's not supposed to be serious, but he was his impact, I thought, was felt on the game, not being there, as he has been the Dolphins most reliable receiver this year so no matter how you splice it running game quarterback receivers offense was terrible but if you flip the script with the defensive side of the ball fantastic job from them I don't have the exact numbers because my PFF account can't log in right now but I know that Cordray Tankersley only had two two completions on him I'm not sure how many targets that was and it was for less than 20 yards so he had a fantastic day on that side again the linebackers were terrific and defensive line was terrific as they register six sacks in the game and hold the Titans running game 
to just 3.45 yards per carry. It's three and a half yards on the ground per carry. Going to win a lot of games doing that, especially when you have the pass rush getting the six sacks and forcing the Titans into long situations when it comes to their quarterback, who Matt Castle actually posted. This is why stats don't really tell you the whole story. He posts an 85.5 passer rating, but he only has... 141 passing yards on 32 attempts and six takes six sacks. Just a terrible day from the Titans quarterback. And the Dolphins defense had a lot to do with that too. Speaking of passer ratings, Jay Cutler ends the game with 52.1 passer rating, just 92 yards on 26 passes. I'll do the math on that real quick. That is a terrible yards per attempt average of 3.54 on the day. You want to be up around over seven. He was half of that. So Jay Cutler just not getting the job done as far as the film goes, as far as the stats go, and that's kind of an entire offensive thing. But before we dwell on this game too much, let's talk about that Dolphins defense and some of the season stats and where they rank right now currently in the NFL. I want to talk about some cool stats the Dolphins defense currently are pitching right now, and here's a here's a stat that is not really well spoken of or, or well known of and not spoken very much of is scoring percentage, and that's how many drives the offense has that ends in a scoring in a, any type of score with a touchdown or a field goal. Miami is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6th in the NFL in that at 28.9% of the time. So only 29% of the time the Dolphins' defense is on the field, they give up points. Another fantastic stat, the Dolphins' 3.1 yards per carry from the opponent's offense, from the opponent's rushing offense, is third in the NFL, just 3.1 yards per carry giving up, and they've only allowed two rushing touchdowns on the year, too. So the Dolphins' run defense has gone from one of the league's worst to absolutely one of the league's best, and shutting down the Titans last year, who ran for something like 240 yards on the Dolphins, to holding them to just 3.3 yards a carry this year, or 3.5 yards a carry, excuse me, and less than 100 yards. Just a fantastic turnaround from that side of the football. As far as the passing defense goes, <clears throat> right in the middle of the pack there as well, in the net yards per game average, that, that takes sacks and, and everything into account on the passing game. It's a little more advanced stat. The Dolphins are actually right in the middle of the pack there. They are 19th in the league in that stat. So when you take a top three run defense and a top 20 pass defense, this team as a whole comes out to be right around the 10th best defense. And if you look at the raw stats... They are, in fact, 10th in the NFL in yards per play at 5.1. So take that into perspective for a second. The Dolphins currently 10th in the league in allowing the fewest yards per play at 5.1. Actually tied with the Vikings who play here in a little bit, recording this on Monday night. They are tied for 10th in yards per play at 5.1. The offense had barely over 3 yards per play in the game. Just think about how terrible that is. Right now, the Cincinnati Bengals, their defense leads the NFL in yards per play at 4.2. So the Dolphins were a yard worse in the game than the best defense at yards per play. So just kind of some perspective there on where they are across the NFL. As far as allowing points, and I talked about this on yesterday's show a little bit, but about some of the lackluster offenses. And sure, the Jets and Titans are not very good, but the Saints offense and then the Chargers with the ability to have you know, Melvin Gordon back this year and Keenan Allen back and Hunter Henry and Antonio Gates both healthy again. Phil Rivers coming back this year. Despite playing two good teams, two bad teams, Miami is fourth in the NFL in scoring defense at 16.8 points per game. Now, if I told you last year with the Dolphins offense what they had when they had Jay Ajayi cranking and Ryan Tannehill playing well, if I told you they were going to allow 17 points in a game, you would say they would win all of those games. So safe to say with last year's offense, with this year's defense, the Dolphins would probably be 4-0 at the very worst 3-1. So disappointing in one sense, but also encouraging in the other sense that you have this defense you're building slowly now, 
And this isn't a fluke either, I don't think. You, like I've mentioned this before, this is getting kind of drawn on several podcasts here, but talking about the fact that you added Devon Gacho and Vincent Taylor inside to beef up the interior pass rush as well as run defense. You have Will Hayes, who's playing like a man on fire, and they should probably give him that second year of the contract that he originally had again because he's been awesome. Charles Harris is emerging. You have Lawrence Timmons playing awesome out there. Cordray Tankersley playing awesome. Xavier Howard's playing better. Rashad Jones is back to who he is. These are guys that are signed long-term or on cheap rookie contracts that can be impactful players for years to come. And you still have Tony Lippett and Rayquad McMillan waiting to come back next year. So this defense, I think, for my money, way exceeding expectations. And I think it's more here to stay than it is not. All right, you know what we had to do? We had to go to the other side of the ball and talk about this Miami Dolphins offense and... Oh boy, <laughs> 156 yards per game passing is, I mean, I don't got to tell you how bad that is, but as you can tell, 32nd in the NFL behind the Baltimore Ravens, behind the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars had 18 consecutive running plays in their victory over the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they still have more yards per passing, or y- more yards passing per game than the Miami Dolphins do. So the Dolphins pass offense, worst in the NFL currently. On the offensive line, the 10 sacks the Dolphins have surrendered is actually 12th best in the NFL, so... Cutler not really getting sacked a whole lot, but then again, you take into account the efficiency numbers. I don't really like to go off volume because the Dolphins are going three and out so much. They really don't have a whole lot of opportunities for sacks because there's not a lot of dropbacks. And if you look at the sack percentage, 6.9% of his dropbacks, Jay Cutler is sacked, and that is actually 18th best in the NFL. So not very good, but uh, you get the, the idea. But where the offensive line really is struggling right now, we know it's not Jay Ajayi because he is actually still second in the NFL in yards after contact. He's just been as good as he always is, just not getting the room to run. The Dolphins' offense averaging just 74.8 yards per game on the ground. That is 31st in the NFL, way ahead of the last-place team, Arizona Cardinals, who lost David Johnson and can't block anything either. They are at 51 yards. The Dolphins at 74 yards, right below the New York Giants, who we know about their offensive line and their struggling or their their struggles at the running back position. The Dolphins have a premier back, and they're below a team that has Paul Perkins as their ace. So kind of tells you where the Dolphins' offensive line is right now. They are just as much of a problem as Jay Cutler. You put the two together, it's a nightmare offense that is last in a lot of categories, like scoring offense, which is exactly where the Dolphins are right now. Last place at 10.3 points per game. That is horrific, and it's really quite a, a stunner to me that they are 2-2, two and two, scoring 10 points per game, especially when you consider that six of those points came on the last play when the Dolphins are trailing by three scores at the Jets at the Meadowlands, and that another one of those touchdowns came from the defense, Rashad Jones' fumble, scoop, and score for a touchdown. So take away those points. If you take away those points, the Dolphins are at 27 points on the season, just 6.75 points per game. Like I said, hard to believe they're 2-2, two and two, but like I said, also a testament to their defense getting the job done. All right, that's going to do it for the stats review on this episode. Let's move on to the next topic here. As I remind you guys about where you can find the show on Twitter, at Wingfield NFL, at LockedOnFins, and don't forget to check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your print journalism that you seek and desire. We have plenty of that going for you. More pieces coming this week. Kevin Dern working on a defensive piece. Mike Jesterbiski worked on a Charles Harris piece as well. And no advertising this week, guys. We are not going to do the X-Bet advertising. So let's get into a quick commercial here and then come right back. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison here to tell you Geico has more than just great savings. Much more. Yes, while Geico could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, Geico has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than Geico. 
Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. All right, welcome back in. Travis Swingfield here with you on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. And I wanted to kind of riff a little bit more about where this team is right now on offense and where they can kind of rebound. And I saw a lot of griping on Twitter and talking about how, you know, even though the team lost or won the game, it felt like a loss and there's just no energy on offense. There's no reason to be excited about this team. And there's a lot of reasons for you to think that way. But also, you just kind of have to remember that the NFL is a week-by-week proposition. You never know what's going to happen the following week. I mean, yeah, you get to the end of the season when the Cleveland Browns are 0-13. You know, they're probably going to lose their games. Or the Patriots are 13-1. and You know, they're probably going to win their games. But teams are still figuring it out. It's still October. We're not even to Halloween yet. You know, week five just completed. There's a long way to go. Look at the Cincinnati Bengals offense through the first two games. No touchdowns, just as abysmal as the Dolphins are right now. And look at where they are now. They are a high-scoring affair right now. They're beating teams pretty good. They, they took care of the Buffalo Bills with their good defense yesterday. Beat uh, Tredavious White, the offense or the defensive player of the month in the AFC. He got beat by by A.J. Green for a 77-yard touchdown pass. You know, the Seahawks, they're off to a slow start once again. That's kind of a common thing for them. Their offense is bad. They beat the Rams 16-10 yesterday, too, and they're being applauded for it. Granted, the Rams' offense is number one scoring offense going into that game, but you get the idea that... It, there's just a lot of bad feelings around the team and they're still two and two. So not that big of a deal at this point. If it continues, obviously it is. I mean, look at the Broncos and Vikings last year, both off to five and zero starts and then they completely crumble and both miss the playoffs right now. All that matters is stacking up wins while you're figuring your team out. You know, it's, 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 it's not fun to see them play so poorly, but the fact that you're stacking wins in that situation, it's like the Texans game in week two against the Bengals on Thursday night is a great example of that. The Texans played like absolute crap. They played like crap the game before that against the Jaguars. They were 0-1 with a struggling offense that could not do a thing, even though Deshaun Watson came into the game. He wasn't doing anything. They were about to lose that game. They ended up saving it with the big Deshaun Watson touchdown run. They get that win to go to 1-1. They then win the next... They win one of the next two games, and they play a really good game with the Patriots, and they're 2-2, two and two, and everyone's excited about them. So the fact that you stack those wins in those ugly games, it matters because right now that's all you're supposed to be doing is stacking games. And for all you folks that couldn't get excited about winning that game, I'll just tell you this. You know damn well that when the Dolphins march down the field on their opening drive in Atlanta for a touchdown, you're going to be thinking to yourself, oh, you only win this game, get to 3-2. and two. Then we have the Jets probably going to win that game. We'll be 4-2. and two. So your feelings can change in a heartbeat. I'm not saying Miami's going to beat Atlanta. I don't think they will. But just enjoy the season. Enjoy the ride. Stack wins now. Reveal the true character of your team post-Halloween. And then we'll see where the chips lie at the end of the season and where the Dolphins are, whether it's you know, looking forward to the draft or a game in January in the playoffs. Just chill out a little bit. It's still early, and they somehow have managed to win two games despite playing as bad as they possibly could have. All right, longer than usual episode on a Tuesday for you guys, but there's just so much going on with this team right now in terms of, you know, I wanted to get deeper into the stats with the fourth game being played in the first quarter of the season being done. And then obviously we all know about Chris Forrester, and I'd be remiss not to talk about that some more. And I wanted to go down a list of things that I wrote down here, one, two, three, four, five, six events that I have, that I can recall off the top of my head in my 20-plus years as a Dolphins fan. I'm almost 30 years old. You know, I, I was a fan when I was a kid, but, you know, you don't really know what's going on. And the tragedy for the Dolphins started with me. I was I was the biggest Ricky Williams fan you could imagine. He was my favorite player. Him and King Griffey Jr. kind of grew me up as Dolphins and Mariners fans. 
And when he retired that night before training camp, I was just devastated. I remember back when I would read the paper before school in the morning, I'd have the sports section back when, you know, newspapers were still a thing. I would eat my cereal and read the paper. And I just remember looking at it that summer. I wasn't going to school, obviously, at that point. But I remember looking at it and saying, like, I just wanted to see the headline, Ricky Williams changes his mind. Or I kept expecting him to change his mind. But it never happened until, you know, the following year when he needed to get some money back and everything. But that's where it started. And then... Um, more dolphin tragedy ensued a couple of years later when they hired Nick Saban. And then uh, he told us he wasn't going to be the Alabama coach. We know how that went down and how that all happened. And I actually just watched the football life on Wes Welker the other day. Very good program, by the way. Not as good as Dan Marino's, but very good in his own right. And some really good Dolphins content in there, as well as some stuff from Mike Leach, who is at Washington State Cougars now, which is my team and my college, but neither here nor there. But Nick Saban actually had told Bill Belichick after he left for Alabama, that Wes Welker was one of the best workers he'd ever been around and encouraged him to go out and make that trade, which just made me hate Nick Saban even more. So the Patriots still, Wes Welker becomes the greatest slot receiver of all time. You know how that goes. Moving on a few years down the line, I don't know which one of these happened first. I can't recall. So just bear with me here for a second. But Jeff Ireland calling Des Bryant's mom a uh, prostitute, which in the context of it all, I didn't really see where the big hangup was because... Des Bryant walked himself into that question and said some really dumb things, saying his dad was a pimp and my mom worked for my dad. Yeah, you shouldn't respond with, oh, so your mom's a prostitute. But at the same time, Des Bryant kind of clueless in that sense there too. So I just remember it being all over ESPN and all over all the media, all the major media mark or outlets out there. Just embarrassing seeing the Dolphins logo and some type of scandal on the bottom of the screen with, you know, their dopey reporters and stuff reading off things and talking about their take and what it means for the Dolphins and all that stuff. But the other thing that was tied closely to that, like I said, can't recall which was first. I think the Des Bryant thing was first and then Jim Harbaugh and the chase for him that occurred after that when the Dolphins still had Tony Sperano under contract and... Stephen Ross makes a very public chase for Jim Harbaugh, winds up not getting him. He winds up going to the 49ers and eventually back to Michigan where he, you know, played and everything. But that was embarrassing too because it was supposed to be like it was a done deal and then it wasn't and then it, just a mess of a thing. So more black marks on the franchise. So you go from 2004 to 2006 to I want to say 2008, 2009 with Jeff Ireland and then 2010, I want to say, or 2011 with Jim Harbaugh. And then we get to 2013 with the good old-fashioned Bullygate with Richie Incognito and Jonathan Martin. Jonathan Martin couldn't play at the NFL. He couldn't handle being in an NFL locker room. And because of those two things, he decided to make Richie Incognito's career with the Dolphins a finished product. We lose one of our better offensive linemen. He goes to Buffalo, has a great career with them. You know how that went down, and the Dolphins were made a, a bit of a fool there and were a national story again for the wrong reason. And then it all comes back to Chris Forrester. Dolphins can't seem to go three years without having one of these big stories, and it comes back this time. This one, I heard the way I saw it put on Twitter best was, this isn't really a black mark on the Dolphins. It's just a black mark on Chris Forrester, and I'm inclined to agree with that because he's an idiot, and he gets everything, or he deserves everything that's coming to him right now in terms of, you know, the public shaming, and I hope that, you know, his whole life kind of unravels because the guy needs help before he can get better. You know, doing cocaine at work is, is one thing, and that uh, you don't do when you're healthy. So I hope I didn't depress you guys too much with all of that ranting about misery and 
and the Dolphins' poor offense. But go back and listen to that stuff about the defensive stats because this defense has been awesome this year, and hopefully that continues on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons as they test or they get a real test with Matt Ryan, Devontae Freeman, Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Austin Hooper, that entire dynamic offensive group. We will preview that game on Thursday. But before then, we got to get out of here for now. Got to tell you guys to be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and check out the other Lockdown Sports podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. LockedOnFins or at LockedOnFins on Twitter. Check out ThirdAndTen.com. Be back tomorrow with another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.